Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. If it sounds like I'm fired up, it's because I am fired up. I'm fired up. And this, this speaks to my actual resiliency. I'm fired up despite that hideous crap fest that I was subjected to last night. Because I see the bigger picture. I see NFL Week 3. However... If we're going with recency bias, and the last thing I saw, it was that hideous crap fest last night. You know, the proverbial, if I wasn't getting paid to talk about this crap, I would never be watching this crap. Only worse. It was worse than that. Like, calling Broncos Niners color rush bad is an insult to color rush games. That game last night was an insult to the sport. That la- that game last night was even a rough one for all you Trey haters. You know, the Trey area. Frisco, I hate to pile on by calling you Frisco because I know you're already in a bad way, Frisco. So I'll just call you the Trey area instead, Frisco. The Trey area, Frisco, spent the entire offseason debating between Lance and Jimmy G. Turns out that may have been a big waste of time. Not because Trey got hurt, but despite getting them to the Super Bowl, I'm not sure G is any more prepared for the big stage at this point than Lance was or wasn't. I mean, at least Trey Lance never pulled an Orlovsky. Now, the big... The big, the big change Not that Orlovsky. I'm not talking about the sneeze fart. All right, James Kelly, relax. Kelly, put the phone down. Kelly, do not G-chat me. Like I'm looking down right now at my computer. I don't want to see that, Kelly. I don't want to see that, big head. I'm talking about not the sneeze fart. I, I never thought that I'd reach a point in my career where I would say the word fart on the radio even. Even. Not even when I was in college radio did I do that. Yet here I am as a middle-aged dude on an internationally syndicated program, and it keeps coming up over and over and over again. Now, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking, however, about the football equivalent of the sneeze fart. Jimmy G actually made stepping out of the back of the end zone look even worse than Orlovsky ever could because Jimmy didn't just pull an Orlovsky, he combined it with a Wentz. He took a safety, and he threw a pathetic jump ball for a pick six on the same play, a.k.a. one of the worst quarterback plays you will ever, ever, ever see. Second and 10 from his own end zone. Oh, out of the end zone. It's a safety. Remember, Dan Orlovsky did that. Stepped all the way out of the end zone. It's a safety, and that kills the play before everything else on the pick. So it is seven to five, and Trent Williams is shaking up for the Niners. I don't know that I've ever seen a safety be a break for a team, but it certainly was there. NBC on the call. I mean, what a devastating play. You know, Orlovsky and Wentz were both like, yes, yes, yes. Orlovsky might be off the hook, but Wentz is not. And then you lose Trent Williams, too. Like, I would say, luckily for the Niners, that only counted as two points for Denver, except those two points decided the game, which ended with a perfectly appropriate 11-10 to 10 score. An absolutely hideous final score for an absolutely hideous football game. 
somehow, some way, by divine intervention and a miracle, Coach Ritt and Russ are actually two and one. Let's ride. And they couldn't look. Let's ride. Broncos country. Let's hide. Broncos country. Let's ride. And my man, he was fired up, wasn't he, after the game? And he did tag his post-game interview on the field with, let's ride. Broncos country. Let's, let's hide. Coach Ritt and Russ, somehow, somewhere, two and one. And they could not look much worse. I mean, you are what your record says you are, except in their case. But they are currently tied with the Chiefs for first place in the allegedly toughest division in football. I think now would be a pretty good time for all of us, myself included, to stop saying that about the AFC West because that's obviously not what that is. And I'm not being harsh at all when I say that they could not look any worse. I'm actually being generous. These dudes three and outed nine times. Let me repeat that. They won a game in which they three and outed three plays and off the field nine different times. Nine times. Russell Wilson looked like he was out there cooking with NyQuil. You see what I did there? We had that take last week where there are a bunch of bum asses cooking food in NyQuil. Coach Ritt looked like the actual Ritt. Game on. Which tells you all you need to know. Yet they're 2-1. and one. Now, they might be the worst 2-1 and one team I've ever seen, but they're 2-1. and one. Then you got the Buffalo Bills. Transition. The Buffalo Bills might be the best 2-1 and one team I've ever seen, but what does that mean? Especially given how banged up they are. That said, I'm not taking anything, anything at all, away from those legends in South Florida. So why don't we move on to that game? Because that was a real football game between two real football teams. The only thing that Sunday Night Football and the Bills Dolphins had in common was a hilarious safety, a.k.a. the butt punt. I don't know. This is, this is risky. And it was, oh, my goodness. Blocked indeed. And we just told you he's only had one block in 14 years, and that was number two. And look at where it comes in the game. Let's see if we can get a... Oh, it oh, hit the, the personal protector, Sherfield. Hit his behind. It was not Butthole. blocked at all. Buttocks. Buttocks. It's a whole new meaning to kick and you know what. Ass. Buttocks. Butthole. Buttocks. Truly one of the more bizarre bizarre plays you're ever going to see in that league. Somehow punting the ball straight off a blocker's ass and out of the back of the end zone was actually a decent development for the Dolphins. I have just never seen a butt punt before. Never. And neither has the cheetah himself. Never seen a butt punt before, man. But I'm sure, you know, Trent is very... Like, he's very smart, you know, like, um, so for him just to come to the sideline, you know, take ownership and all of that, you know, says exactly, you know, what kind of player he is, you know, so he's going to go into the film room, he's going to correct it, you know, and next time he's going to catch it with his butt cheeks because he got strong butt cheeks. The next time he's going to catch it with his butt cheeks because he's got strong butt cheeks. I don't know what I like better. The, the cheetah busts out of Kansas City, goes to Miami, completely revamps that team, and gives them life, or the fact that he's allowed to talk now. Where was all this when he was in KC? The cheetah is absolutely in fuego with his post-game comments this season. He's better after the game than he is during the game, and he's still like the most dangerous guy in the game. 
and he's third in the league in receiving yards right now, and I would still argue that he's better off the game, after the game, than he is during the game. Except the butt punt did not end that game. In fact, he gave Buffalo one more drive and a potential look at a game-winning field goal until this happened. Josh takes, fires a short one. This one caught by Isaiah McKenzie trying to head out of bounds. And McKenzie is brought down. You got to get up and spike immediately. You got to get up and spike immediately. Five seconds, four seconds, three seconds. They're running out of time. One second. That's it. Ball game. Game is over. McKenzie could not get out of bounds to stop it, and the Bills were slow to get back to the line of scrimmage. And this one ends with a Buffalo loss. That was a, that was quite the game. Yes, it was. I don't know where to begin with that one. Yeah. Yes, I think you guys do, because that was Bills radio brutal ending. Brutal ending. Like, get up, get up, get up, spike the ball. Five, four, three, two, one. Come on! That's what I heard. That's what I saw. All I could think is they were trying to get to the line of scrimmage and they were rushing up, and Josh Allen was trying to get guys set was five, four, three, two, one. Insert James. Come on! That jumped the weekend. There was no way James in Portland's manual buzzer was not going to jump the weekend. What a brutal ending. But not as brutal. And I got to admit, in watching the first couple of weeks, I thought, Ken Dorsey, man, he seems kind of cerebral. He seems kind of calm. He actually seemed pretty calm. You know, kind of nerdy and intellectual. And I don't know, like, like he was as a player. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the game, Dorsey went absolutely berserk. He went drowning pool on the coaching booth when they could not get the clock stopped. The clock. Dude is three games into his offensive coordinator career, and he's already destroyed a coaching booth like he's Led Zeppelin wrecking a room at the Hyatt House on Sunset. I mean, this dude makes TV45's tablet abuse seem straight-up tame. That was an incredible act. An incredible act. Uh, and don't at me with Rome. He had every right to be pissed. I'm not saying he didn't. I'm just saying it was incredible the way he wrecked that hotel room or er, coaching box. And Motley Crue back in the day couldn't do that kind of damage. And speaking of TB45, his big meeting of the GOATs was completely upstaged by the Finns and the Bills and pretty much everything else that happened yesterday because, let's admit it, Brady and Rodgers was pretty much a freaking snooze. Last night's 11-10 to 10 is one of the most revolting final scores ever. Maybe the most revolting final score ever, but 14-12 to 12 ain't a hell of a lot better. And Bucks packers was as butt-ugly as that score. I mean, for the first 58 minutes of that game, the most throwing thing that happened was TB45 scrambling and ambling for a first down and somehow not disintegrating into dust right there on the field right before our eyes. Ducks away from sack. He's going to run. He's going to get it, but there's a flag. Brady all the way up near midfield. Fox on the call. This dude went from goat and a Dadonis. He looks like a Dadonis. To a poor man's Kevin Bacon and the leader of an offense with absolutely no juice whatsoever. Now, I'm not saying that it's all his fault because it's not. He was missing a lot of his weapons. But the case in point, that horrifying zombie scramble 
is what counts for thrilling offense in Tampa these days. I turned to my son, Rogan Loam, and said, hey, pretty funny, Junior. Pretty funny, Junior, putting the game on in slow-mo for me. I didn't even know we could do that on our smart TV. You know, I'm old and all. I didn't know you can do stuff like that. I'm barely smart enough to figure out how to do that on my smartphone. Hey, but do me a favor, Rogan Loam. Stop jerking with the controls. I'm trying to get some work done here. To which he said was, I didn't do anything, Pop. I didn't do anything. I mean, damn. Kevin Bacon is all up in here. TB45 is all up in here speed walking like it was the combine all over again when he ran that eight flat in the 40. But give the dude this. Give Bacon this. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. He did what he had to do well, to his face, and to that offense. And then finally, on the last drive of the game, old man Brady got his creaky old bones all the way down the field to finally score the first and only Tampa TD with 14 seconds left in the game, and now we're in business. And everybody who had Green Bay plus one and a half had to be a little bit concerned. And he spent so much energy doing so, though, He immediately had a senior moment on the two-point conversion when he had a chance to tie that game. Brady on the shotgun, two-point try. Takes the snap, hands the ball off, and the Bucs are guilty of a delay of game. Prior to the ball being snapped, delay game. It just took too long to get out of the huddle on that. Try. Even though James in Portland was on Twitter trying to drag the big head and eye into his love for OU... And that didn't work. I guarantee he was watching Tom Brady getting them lined up for a two-point conversion only to see them get flagged for delay of game. And then thought to himself, that'd be a good place for a James in Portland manual buzzer. Come on! (laughs) Brady has played like 100 years and still does not realize that it's easier to get two yards than it is seven. Kind of blows my mind. How can the greatest quarterback ever take a delay of game at home on a two-point conversion to tie? Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Of course. Can I tell you, I'm starving after every workout. So, this time, do not make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and it's tender. And it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously. And you can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried out, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal. And it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those who like to take things up a notch. So next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see exactly what you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, clones, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? There is a lot of belief going on, dude. I get it. And you look like it. Not a great day for TB45. 
Not a great day for Ken Dorsey. Not a great day for Jimmy G. Not a great day for anybody who stayed up to watch Sunday Night Football last night. But nobody had a worse week three than the former QB of the Eagles and the Colts because the Carson Wentz, quote, revenge game turned into the latest Carson Wentz catastrophe game and another Jalen Hurts coronation. Like, Frisco might be a little bit confused this morning about who they actually want quarterbacking their team. Not that they have a choice. But there is absolutely no mystery in Philly this morning because, holy crap, Jalen Hurts is still balling the hell out and getting better by the week. And as far as Wentz goes, he had an opportunity to make an ex jealous and instead showed that ex that dumping his ass was the best decision that ex ever made. Wentz was horrible. I mean, he was horrendous, but don't take my word for it. Take it from the guy himself. Definitely not good enough. Um, you know, hats off to them. That's a good defense. It's a good team. Um, they got after us, and, yeah, I, I did not play to my standards, and uh, especially early. Uh, I think that's tough, and unfortunately, back-to-back weeks kind of dug ourselves a hole there, and um, I got to be better, especially early on, so that we're not, you know, having to throw the whole second half and let them play coverage and do some things differently. So I got to be better. Dude, did you start that off by saying that you were not good enough? Saying that you're not good enough is not good enough. Definitely not good enough. I mean, what you then went on to say was, we have to do this better. I have to start better. I have to start faster. So we're not playing catch up the entire second half. You mean, essentially, you have to stop being you. He didn't play to his standard. That's pretty alarming because that standard is pretty terrible. But he's right. He was even worse than he normally is. This dude got sacked nine times. Nine times. He averaged 2.9 yards per pass. He fumbled twice. He lost it once. I mean, like, you never really know what you're going to get with Carson Wentz other than when he's good, he's aight. And when he's bad, he's horrible. But he was so much worse than that in a game that you know he wanted worse than the Super Bowl. Meanwhile, Jalen Hurts was so good that his MVP odds are still going up. He was plus 800 a week ago, which was a revelation into itself. And now he sits at plus 700. Dude is the breakout star of the season so far, and Carson Wentz is still just Carson Wentz. So, Philly fan has got to be feeling amazing this morning. Wait, there's more. Nobody is having a better Monday. I saved the best for last. Then the Dolphins and Dolphin fan, because the biggest story in the NFL right now is still the Finns and their cojones. 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 Look, if you're going to talk nonstop about brass sets and needing a wheelbarrow to carry them around, you got to back that up. And the way you back that up is by doing exactly what the Dolphins did yesterday. Even the quarterback showed off his cojones. Cojones. When he returned to the game after bouncing his dome off the turf and then stumbling back to the sideline like he was on some wicked bender after a crazy bar crawl. Yes, it was probably reckless and dangerous to run him back out there. Yes, the Players Association immediately launched an inquiry with the league about his return to the game. And we'll see if and what anything comes from that. But clearly, that dude... 
Tua was not going to abandon that fight. None of them were going to abandon that fight, despite the fact that dudes on both sides were dropping from heat-related illnesses. Speaking of hot, the Dolphins are not just hot. They're not just some cute little story. They're straight legit. And they better purchase a few more wheelbarrows because those cocojones are swelling as we speak. Cocojones are about making it happen. And right now, nobody is doing a better job of making it happen than Tua, Cheetah, Waddle, Coach McDee, and the rest of the Dolphins. I just hope that we never have to actually see any of them catch a football with their cheeks. Although Tyreek says they could. I'm telling you, the Dolphins are going to make a lot of opposing coordinators go Ken Dorsey on their play call sheets. Dorsey will be fine. The Bills should be fine. But if we're being real, if there was a camera in my office last night, I was Ken Dorsey during that Niner game. I was throwing Apple products, which I love, all over the place. Dodger Jano ran in the room to cover up the camera. In other words, Ken Dorsey was actually pulling a Van Smack. Ken Dorsey was pulling a me. So I've got kind of a personal question for you fellas. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. Big number, right? 48 hours. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick, and it's easy to use, especially when you're on the move. On top of that, Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. Thus, it leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect your skin. What I'm saying to you is this is a great product that does a lot of things really well. So make sure you try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel, all day. Antoine Bethay joins me. Antoine, good to have you back. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How you doing? Good, dude. Good. Looking good. It's great to have you back. So we could start any number of places, but let me start with your former team, the Colts. Not only did they not look so great in their first two weeks, with Kansas City coming to town, lose again, and then they're looking at a 1-2-1 and one start and a big problem. So what did they show you in the way they were able to grind out that win over KC? And then can an emotional dub like that jumpstart an entire season? Man, that was a huge win for them. You know, um... You know, Kansas City coming into the into town. Um, it's a Lucas Oil, uh, the Indianapolis Colts, their first home game. And they were able to capitalize on um, on Kansas City mistakes. You know, Muff Punt uh, gives them a short field. Matt Ryan and them, Matt Ryan and company, um, they're able to punch it in. So, Colts, man, a uh, hell of a job, man, of, of getting a, a big, big, big win. And um, I think a win like this could jumpstart uh, something for that Colts team. I think it's something that they needed, something that, you know, Matt Ryan – um, said that, you know, for him and his team, they need to get this win. And it was a, a great win. I think one of the most surprising wins um, of the weekend. Huge win. Antoine Bethea joining us. All right, so on the flip side of that, what about the Chiefs? They seemed like they were just fine without Tyree Kill the first couple of weeks until they didn't seem like they were just fine. In fact, did you see Patrick Mahomes having that moment with Eric Bieniemy? Is that just one bad week for the Chiefs? Or do you think that maybe the problems might run deeper there? 
Um, outside looking in, I, I would say, you know, one bad week. You know, obviously you see the the conversation between Patrick Mahomes and Eric Bieniemy. I, I, you you can get that. You know, you can get that. You, you, you got guys that probably don't see eye to eye all the time, and those were one of the instances where they didn't see eye to eye. You got a you know offensive coordinator and his um, you know all pro quarterback having you know uh, uh, differences, and you gonna have that in in football. But I don't think um, you know we'll panic too much on the Kansas City Chiefs offense. Yeah, they didn't look like their normal selves um, yesterday, but I think they'll be just fine. Antoine Bethea joining us. You know, the beauty of the NFL, man, it was a wild weekend, and I mean that in the best way. Just when you think you know something, just when it looks like the Bills are clearly the team to beat after big wins over the Rams and Titans, they get beat by Miami. How much are you buying into the Dolphins and their 3-0 start? I'm bought in. <laughs> I'm bought in. You know, um, they had a big acquisition um, with Tyreek Hill teaming up with Jalen Waddle and then Tua. We wanted to see, like, what who, who is Tua? And um, yesterday you saw who he was, you know, going out and then coming back into the game um, and leading his team. And they've done a, 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 a magnificent job of um, putting some 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 players, some playmakers around Tua so he can develop as a young quarterback. And I'm, um, I'm on the Miami Dolphins train, man, 3-0. and uh, We can see what they can, what they can do for the rest of the year. Yeah, I am too, Antoine. I love them. What do you make of Tua? When Tua took that shot and he got up and he was wobbling and then he went back to the locker room and then they said that he was under investigation or they were going to look at whether or not he was in the protocol and then he comes back out and then come to find out that it was not his head but his back, allegedly. Are you buying that? What do you make of that whole thing? Right. And what do you think? how do you think that's going to play out? Hey, look, we, 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 we've all seen we've all seen this um you know, if we if we're watching NFL, and you know, I can only take a man's word. So if he said if it was it was his back, it was his back. But it looked different to me, you know. But to his to the fans, to Miami Dolphins fans, to his teammates, to see him go in the locker room and then come back out and play the way he played—that's what you want to see um, out of your leader. And um, obviously, you know, the NFLPA they you know asked to do their research and and what. Um, the Miami Dolphins did as far as their process. We'll see what that what, what they come out and say, but I like it from Tua. Um, show his grit and grind. No, I think you're right. Hey, listen, I don't know exactly what happened, and I'm no doctor, and what would I know? I've never seen a dude suffer a back injury stumbling around like that before, so I really don't know what happened. But from your standpoint and the point that you make, if you're a Dolphin player or fan, you love the guy's heart, you love the guy's grit, but those rules were in place for a reason, so we come to find out. Let me ask you, Antoine, when you played for the Colts, you had some epic, epic battles with the Patriots. New England's 1-2 and two to start the year. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens going to Foxborough, they dropped 37 on the Pats. Like, I get that Lamar is playing out of his mind right now. I get that Bill Belichick is the GOAT. But without Tom Brady, have the Patriots become just another team? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you can you can say whatever you want to say, but Tom Brady, you know, he brought something to that team. Obviously, he goes to Tampa Bay, he wins the Super Bowl, and he has them looking um, like a a great organization. Um, but you know, get back with the New England, Tom Brady, he he made that organization go, and not to take anything away from from Bill Belichick because he did as well. But as you know, the winning is the winning is league. You gotta have a guy at that position, and you know, even though you know Matt Jones, he's young in his career, 
um, Tom Brady was that guy. So when we used to go to New England, we knew we had to deal with number 12. Um, so it's just it's a, it's a huge difference. It's a huge difference there now. Antoine, that guy obviously is Lamar. Lamar has already won an MVP award. Lamar bet on himself, which I love. I mean, have you ever seen this guy play better than he is right now? Man, he's playing lights out, um, and the prices is just going up uh, week in, week out. Uh, like you said, man, I I I love the fact that he he bet on, bet on himself, man, and I'm enjoying each week that he goes out there and he proves to the Baltimore Ravens that whatever he's asking for, he's worth. Antoine Mateus joining us. You know, when you mentioned that you have to have that guy, you have to have that guy. Jimmy G has won a lot of games, right? He had them in the Super Bowl. We know this guy can win, but you ended your career in San Francisco. When they brought him back in, it seemed like the ultimate insurance policy. Then watching him last night, it's kind of hard for me to make that argument. Is Jimmy G, in your mind right now, is he that guy still? Or was he ever that guy, by the way, dude? So I had this I had this argument or this debate with my co-host Darius Butler. Um, and Darius Butler, you know, he was standing on the table for Jimmy G um, to get him into to Indy. And I just didn't think that Jimmy G was a guy. To your point, you know, he's his record as a strong quarterback in this league, um, leading the San Francisco 49ers to the Super Bowl is good. But um, to be that guy, man, has to be on a consistent basis, day in and day out. You know what you want to get from your from from your quarterback um and last night man it, it was not a good showing it was not a good showing on, on jimmy g's part it wasn't a great showing for russell wilson's um perspective either but um it, it's tough man and and to your point when when trey lance got injured i even say i'm like man it's a, a great situation to be in that you know you have a guy like jimmy g that can step in and can lead his team um but after last night's show man it was it was a rough one Antoine, what about Russ? You mentioned Russ. Like, Russ did not look great either. Far from it. He does not look like Russ so far. Is this just a matter of him being in a new situation, a new environment, a new everything? Or is this kind of who Russ is right now? Man, um, I, I would love to say that it's the new system, a new situation. But if you look at last year when he was in, in Seattle, it wasn't the, the Russ we got. Uh, we grew accustomed to seeing. So at this point, if I had to to say it, this might just be Russell Wilson right now. Um, you know, we, we we hate to see it, but it comes time for all players. And we just don't know when it's going to happen in our careers where it's just not the same like it used to be. And hopefully I'm wrong. But as of right now, man, it just looks like this is Russell Wilson. Antoine Bethea joining us. Antoine, I'm really curious. Like you, ma you make a really interesting point when you say, you know what, it happens to everybody. It happens to every player at some point in their career. Generally, when you look at your own career or Darius or anybody you know and respect, do the guys know and not want to admit it? Like, how do you process that? Did you know deep down or because you need a certain mentality and mindset to get there, do you just put that out of your mind altogether? I mean, we're, we're all ultimate competitors, right? We're 1% to make it to this level, to make it to the NFL. But every guy knows when, his, when, it's, when it's that time, right? Um, you try to, you know, push it out maybe a year or two, but you, you know. And, you know, again, we're ultimate competitors. We never want to say, nah, I'm done. I'm not playing at the level that I, I once was. But I knew it in my career, Um that it was around the corner where Tuan, man, you're going to have to call it quits because 
you're used to playing at a level and you know yourself when you you're your harshest critic or you your biggest critic that when you're watching film, you're out there um, on the practice field or on, you know, playing the game. I'm not playing like I used to play. And um, it's just one of those things that, you know, and when it happens, man, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. Right. I appreciate that response. Antoine Bethea joining us for a few more moments. You played for the Giants, who are going to take on Dallas tonight, Monday Night Football. I know you're watching that one closely. Seems like new head coach Brian Dable has won his first couple of games, but more importantly, kind of injected some positivity and energy in New York. It is a small sample size. Do you have a sense that the culture is starting to change there? And who do you like tonight? How are you going to play that one? Huh. Um, you hit it on the head, man. You always talk about when you see great teams, um, what do they have in common? And so it's about the culture, right? It's about the culture in the building, um, the coaches, the players, um, the continu the continuity, man. And um, you know, New York Giants, man, starting this season off two and zero. I'm not sure how many people um had that. So going into this game tonight against the divisional uh, divisional rival, Dallas Cowboys, I got the Giants winning, man. Um, Saquon Barkley, he's playing like. You know, um, the old Saquon um, coming off, you know, a few in, a few years dealing with injuries. But I got the Giants winning, man. I got the Giants winning. I got them 3-0 and in the division. I have – obviously, they'll be right up there with Philadelphia um, as, you know, two undefeated teams in the in the division. Man, that would be a huge, huge win for them to go to 3-0. and Hey, listen, when you and I – before you go, when you and I mentioned Lamar Jackson betting on himself, you know, you come from a place of betting on yourself. You've written a book about this. Your personal mantra has always been bet on yourself. So many successful people have that mentality. What's it mean to you exactly, Antoine, to bet on yourself? And then how have you tried to maintain that mind, mindset since your post-playing days started? Man, when, when I think about betting myself, it's like, man, regardless of what you throw at me, whatever you say at me, man, I'm going a, I'm to a believe in me, right? Uh, I'm going to put all the chips on the table if it comes to Antoine Bethea. And, again, that's what Lamar is doing. Like, you can say whatever you want to say that, you know, as far as him, um, he's not your traditional um, quarterback or he this in the playoffs. At the end of the day, he know he's a guy, right? And he sees what the other guys that plays his position in the league is getting so he knows he should get he should double down on that so for me man that's kind of what i you know that's what i just think about when i think about betting on myself and as far as me um you know transitioning into an entrepreneur um again it, I, I gotta bet on myself you know it, it's some some things that i haven't done um majority of my life i'm learning i'm going through a process but at the end of the day i'm gonna believe in myself because if i don't believe in myself who else will so it. for me man bet on yourself you gotta do it early I love that. I did not mean to jump in, but I wanted to jump in and tell you how much I love that. He is the author of Bet on Yourself, Inside the Mind of the Ultimate Underdog, a 14-year NFL vet, a Super Bowl champ, a three-time Pro Bowler, co-host also of the Man of Man podcast, Antoine Bethay, and a really good look, dude. You look great on video. Appreciate that. Antoine, thank you very much. Let's do it again soon. No, love got it. to. A small business owners, listen up. You may have overpaid on your payroll taxes during COVID. Now, for years, big businesses have benefited from government tax credits. Now it is your turn to reap the benefits. If you employed five to 500 employees and you paid payroll taxes during COVID, you may be eligible for an employee tax credit refund of up to $26,000 per employee. To find out if you do qualify, call Omega Accounting Solutions right now. 
trusted advisors and champions for America's small businesses. Omega has a perfect turnkey ERC process. So much so, they can tell you if you qualify for the ERC in 10 minutes or less. A quick and easy and painless process. Omega is highly rated by the Better Business Bureau and tax experts alike. Tax advisors even turn to Omega for their ERC advice. And since this exclusive tax credit will not be around forever, you want to pick up the phone and you want to chat with a seasoned advisor and you want to do it right now. It is not too late to file. Get the money the government owes you before the filing window closes or funds run out. Talk to an Omega expert right now by calling 800-704-2000 or go to Omega taxcredits.com. All right. So this just in, Andrew Bogish had this in his update. And in case you missed it, Rob Matty tweets, he's an AP lead NFL writer. Quote, I'm told the NFL is replacing the Pro Bowl with the Pro Bowl games. A week of skills competitions for AFC, NFC players culminating with a flag football game at Allegiant Stadium on February 5th. Peyton Manning's at Omaha prod will be involved. Peyton will also coach in the flag game. I mean, there's so many amazing things in that. First of all, I love when they dropped it. You want to talk about a Monday morning news dump? Like right in the middle of all this stuff, like nobody's going to notice. Number two, and this is in no order of importance. I can't believe it. They did it. They finally did the humane thing. They took that dog out back and they put it down. For how many years have I been saying, nobody gives a damn. Don't play this game. Everybody wants to be invited and nobody wants to play. Nobody wants to watch it. Stop jamming this down our throats. It doesn't work. It doesn't matter. It's far outlived its usefulness. I'm not sure there ever was any usefulness. But deep down, I knew that they would never make it go away. And yet here we are. Here the bleep we are. I can't believe it. So why don't we think about the Pro Bowl for a minute? What do you remember? If we play word association or phrase association and I say to you, you say to me the very first thing that pops into mind. All right? Ready? Pro Bowl. Crappy football. Pro Pro Bowl. Biggest waste of time ever. Oh, one more thing. They're replacing it with a skills competition and a flag football game. That flag football game best not be played at the beach. That flag football game best not be played on sand. Just some unsolicited advice. Number two, when you think about the Pro Bowl, other than years and years and years of horrible football, What do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to mind? I think we're all in agreement on this. And this should tell you all you need to know about the Pro Bowl and what a waste of time that was. Time that we'll never get back. You think first and foremost of the idiot kicker. Here we are. I'm out of my third Pro Bowl. We're talking about our idiot kicker who got liquored up and ran his mouth off. So what has the sports world come to? We're talking about idiot kickers. He has ruined kickers for life. Akers and Vinatieri, these guys are great guys. They've been getting killed all week because our idiot ran his mouth. So when I get home, I'll deal with it. Tony and I talked about it. It's kind of funny, really, when you think about it. If he is still a teammate, we'll deal with it. You know, that remains to be seen. But the sad thing is, Lynn, he's a good kicker. 
He's a good kicker, but he's an idiot. It's absolutely amazing that Peyton Manning said that. When I get back, Tony Dungy and I will talk about it if he's still on the team. He was talking about Mike Vanderjack. Mike Vanderjack explained what he meant when he said what he said. All week before the Jets game, I'm like, you know, 18, you know, we're going to handle it. Back that up, back that up, back that up. My bad, Albie. My bad. I'm sorry, my bad. This is what Vanderjack said. Excuse me, my bad. This is what Vanderjack said that set Peyton off. All week before the Jets game, I'm like, you know, 18, you know, we're going to handle it. Me and you, we're going to win this game. And he's like, well, yeah, okay. I'm like, God. Peyton, come on, show some enthusiasm. You're the quarterback. We need to win this game. And he, I just don't see it from him. Some guys have it, some guys don't, you know. And Coach Dungy, he's just a mild-mannered guy. He doesn't get too excited. He doesn't get too down. And I don't think that works either. I think you need a motivator. I think you need a guy that's going to get in somebody's face when they're not performing well enough. Peyton and Tony are basically the same guy. I'm not a real big Colts fan right now, unfortunately. Um, I just don't see us getting better. Holy crap. Why not drag the owner while you're at it? That would be like Rit calling me out. No offense, Rit. None taken, I'm sure. That is incredible. Some guys have it and some guys don't. You mean like arguably the greatest quarterback ever didn't have it? That is an incredible statement. When you hear that, you think, man, not only did Peyton not overreact, he didn't go hard enough. Like, come on, 18. It's going to be you and me here. And you're not showing me any, anything. Come on, man. Because the kicker had to kick the greatest quarterback ever and a guy who prepared unlike anybody ever in the ass to get him going. Incredible. What else do you think about when you think about the Pro Bowl? This absolutely insane moment when Sean Taylor unloaded on punter Brian Mormon. Yeah. Brian Mormon is going to fake it. was a fake it might be he just decided to run with it but Sean Taylor came from about 30 yards back I don't know what was better about that moment that Sean Taylor brought that kind of intensity and lumber to a Pro Bowl game or that Mormon pop right back up equally incredible and that right there and and honorable mention Barry Switzer jamming a hot dog in his face on the sideline during the game. Those are the three things and horrible football, make it four, that will forever be the legacy of the Pro Bowl. R.I.P. And it's about time. Finally. Finally. So what is the fastest ball sport in the world? Not baseball, not tennis. In fact, it is the sport of Hylai, spelled J-A-I-A-L-A-I. Originating in the Basque region of Spain and played professionally in the U.S., most notably in the 1980s, Hylai is making an unprecedented comeback. The ball reaches speeds of 150 miles per hour. The action is intense. The danger factor is high. Six-person teams of professional athletes play the sport at the Magic City Fronten in Miami, Florida. I invite you to check out all the action Monday and Tuesday at 5 p.m. and Friday night at 7 p.m. Go to HighLightWorld.com or download the free Highlight app in the App Store.
The sport with its intensity and athleticism is well worth watching. Check out all the action at HighlightWorld.com. Matches are played similar to tennis with a player or team required to win two sets to win a match. Each set is played up to six points. It is a sport you need to check out. HighlightWorld.com. Monday and Tuesday at 5 p.m., Friday at 7 p.m. I've said it before. I'll say it again right now. This show is better. No, life is better. When we're talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars winning football games, as we are right now, as obsessed as I've been with them. You know, we're talking about them for the right reasons. You know, as opposed to their former coach, Buddy, needing a night out, abandoning the team after a loss, grinding on co-eds, and generally setting the game back decades. Thankfully, we're no longer talking about that. We're talking about the Jaguars, and we're talking about them winning games. And not just winning games, but kicking the bleep out of people. So life is good. Really, really good, especially in Duval. Especially after they just cracked a team that many viewed as a legitimate Super Bowl contender in the LA Chargers, myself included. They're one of my future bets. I felt great about them when I made that bet. Yes, they are banged up right now. But that's partly because they got ran the hell over by a locomotive out of Duval County. I can't say it enough. Duval! How the hell are you living? I mean, damn Duval. Jags fan, I know you have not seen very much of this in your existence, but what is taking place with Trevor Lawrence is what they call, wait for it, quarterback development. Right. It's a real thing. Quarterback development. And it's taking place in Jacksonville. And because it is, you are finally winning football games. Not only winning football games, but winning football games on the road. Not only winning football games on the road, but beating legitimate contenders on the road. So yes, that 18-game losing streak away from the Ville is no longer a thing. And it's due in large part to Trevor Lawrence. Well, Trevor and that nasty D. You see what happens when you lose the perv and you replace him with a guy who actually knows how to work with quarterbacks like Doug Peterson. A guy, you want to talk about a guy who knows how to work with quarterbacks. He had Carson Wentz in the MVP conversation. This guy had Carson Wentz halfway to a yellow blazer. This guy had your favorite quarterback clones Nick Foles ripping a Lombardi. Why do you play that soundbite, Albie, when I mention him? This is Peterson. This is what he did. He had Carson Wentz in the MVP conversation, and he had your favorite quarterback clones. Nick Foles ripping one. And three games into this Peterson-Lawrence marriage, this is absolute bliss. Three games into the Perv-Lawrence marriage, Perv went AWOL and decided to get his Perv on, back in the old old stomping grounds, 
rather than staying in and doubling down to fix what was obviously broken because, quote, Perv needed a night out. That's devastating. So Perv has blown up bridges everywhere in that organization while stunting his franchise quarterback's growth. Oh, and did I mention getting his Perv on? Well, Peterson, on the other hand, has got a very definitive plan for Trevor Lawrence, and he's working that plan, and the plan is already seeing results, big-time results. You see, Peterson understands what Perv did not. Well, the pro game, for one. But also that Lawrence has got that prototypical size, and he's got a cannon. But he can also move. Doug's using his entire weapon or repertoire of weapons, arsenal of weapons. Wild idea. Hey, Perv. Yesterday, Lawrence was decisive and really efficient once again. He just looks like a different guy now. He looks like a much more decisive, confident quarterback and efficient as hell in connecting on 28 of 39 passes and throwing for 262 yards and three touchdowns. Again, a different player altogether. Trevor Drop. Scrambling to the right, still looking. Scramble. Fires to the back of the end zone. Caught in the back of the end zone. Touchdown to Zay. The Jags have extended the lead. Rolling right is Trevor, firing toward the end zone. That ball is going to be caught for the touchdown. Christian Kirk made the catch, and Jacksonville has scored again. Third and goal from the 11-yard line. 31-10, Jags lead it. Dropping is Trevor. Fires corner of the end zone. That ball is going to be caught for the touchdown in the back of the end zone. How in the world did Marvin Jones Jr. come down with that thing? With Michael Davis draped all over him. Touchdown, Jaguars. Jags radio. So once again, we're talking about a guy who looks like a totally different player. Totally different player. Six touchdowns and only one turnover in three games. The six TDs are halfway to his entire rookie season mark. Hell, this guy went eight weeks last season throwing one touchdown. One. And it wasn't only Trevor on offense. The queen herself made this point before I could get to it. James Robinson is healthy. He did his best to complement that passing game by icing the entire thing in the third quarter. Fourth and a half yard under center is Trevor. The give is to James Robinson. He's got it in more. 40, 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown on fourth down. James Robinson broke loose for the score. A 50-yard touchdown run. Wasn't that the guy that Perv benched? Jags 38, Chargers 10. 10 points against a Justin Herbert-led offense. And yes, I understand that Justin was not right physically. However, that Jacksonville D was... And like Trevor, that D needs the proper respect put on their name as well. A week after shutting the Colts out, they did not allow the Chargers to get a first down in the first quarter. And they were opportunistic as hell once again. That same defense that was the worst in the NFL in forcing takeaways a year ago is as good as any unit in the NFL right now. They're forcing the ball out of the opposition's hands. Remember, we had this conversation Devin Lloyd came on last week. I had this very conversation, and I asked him the question, how much of this is about scheme, and then how much of this is about guys who just have a knack for ripping the ball? They forced turnovers in back-to-back drives in the first half. There was an interception by, wait for it, 
the rookie, Devin Lloyd, Jungle Karma, and a Dewan Smoot fumble recovery. Again, I know we're only three games in. I don't want to get too carried away. Although I do often get carried away when I talk about the Jags because I love the Jags. I don't want to get too carried away, but right now they've got the look of a pretty complete team. And I can even go here. They've got the look of a pretty damn good team. That's how impressed I am with what I've seen so far. I was going to shout out and say, Queen Nika, where are you? But she already jumped in. And you know why? She knows. She knows that right now there isn't anybody who wants a part of that team. But everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon. Everybody wants to jump on that wagon right now. And they're running out of seats. And if you want a seat on that bandwagon, to quote the queen herself, you're going to need a Bible and a seatbelt if you're going to stay in that seat. If there is even a seat left on it. Hey, Tenderoni, find me. Section 403, row M, seat 20, bring a Bible and a seatbelt. I'm out. Bet there's a line now. Bring a Bible and a seatbelt. Hey, Tenderonis, find me. She gave you her section, her seat number, and said, bring a Bible and a seatbelt. That's why she's the queen. Jacksonville, the leaders of the AFC South, and you better don't clown them for it you better don't because look at what the supposed doormat of the league the AFC South did to the alleged best division in football yesterday the AFC West 3-0 and have some and how about this incredible stat? It made the rounds on social media because our pal Will Brinson tweeted, quote, Doug Peterson has tied Urban Meyer for fifth all-time in most wins by a Jaguars coach. That's devastating. Heartbreaking. For you, dude. That's incredible. Three games into his tenure. Perv. Then again, Perv's tenure lasted only 13 games. Well, his tenure as the worst NFL coach ever will forever last. And looking worse by the second. Duval, I'm going to assume that life is incredible right about now, but why don't you do me a favor and get your ass on the phone and confirm it for me? Props to the Jags. Notice I'm not saying anything snarky like Keenan McCardell and Fred Taylor and Jimmy Smith ain't walking through that door, and neither is Tony Baselli or Mark Brunel. Notice I'm not saying anything like that. Lance Leipold is my guest. Lance, it's been a moment or two, but it's great to have you back on. How are you? I'm doing well, Jim. Great to be with you again. Hope it's, you're doing well. I'm doing great, and it is great to have you again, Lance. Now, it's not like, and I understand every situation is different, it's not like you haven't done this before. You and I spoke when you were in Buffalo, but I've got to ask, how are you feeling about where the team is right now and overall where you are with your vision for building this program? Uh, extremely pleased, Jim. I, I don't know if we would ever have imagined, uh, you know, being 4-0 at this time, but at the same time, you, you know another tough one's coming up uh, on Saturday. I, I think, though, when we looked at, you know, the, the things that we are starting to make, the progress was a lot, those last three games uh, of last year. The win down in Austin, Texas was, was talked about a lot, but it was really the way we were responded the last two weeks and, and how we prepared, even though we were a two-win team, that propelled us into the, the off-season spring ball, and I think we've really kind of carried that momentum. 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I've, in fact, I brought that up with coaches before, the way you end one season. Does it carry over? And very clearly the answer is yes. Since it's a victory Monday, why don't we start also with that win over Duke on Saturday. Like your Jayhawks, the Blue Devils were undefeated heading into that game. So obviously a quality win, a quality opponent. What stood out to you the most about the way your team won that game? I think perseverance kind of went through it. We we actually came out of the gates playing a little better than we did the last two weeks against uh, West Virginia and Houston where we um, fell behind 14-0 in the first quarter. But we were stopped at the one-yard one yard line on the first drive and then uh, you know uh, turned the ball over in the red zone on the third drive. So we had a chance to get great momentum, and it didn't happen. And I think you know the way we've been able to respond to some adversity this year is really a, a sign of growth for this football team that has been so you know through so much really over the last you know four to ten years of coaching changes. You're talking about guys on the roster and being able to, to handle things the way they did. I, I thought was uh, very impressive. Lance Leipold joining us to that point, Lance. The team has been through a lot. The program has been a lot. There's been a lot of change, a lot of adversity. Given all of that, how gratifying then was it to see a sellout like you had? And what was the atmosphere like? And how much did it mean to the players? Oh, it was huge. It, it was awesome because you know, kind of, we've we've had players, Jim, in this program that have had three head coaches, eight or nine position coaches. And the ability to have something sustained and consistent is what they've been really, you know, desiring and seeing. And then even when I went through the interview process, I did, I, I reached out to Mark Mangino and talked about what was, you know, his recipe or what happened for success here. And one thing he talked about was facilities and whether or not they needed to be improved or not. But what he said was, he goes, Lance, if you can, if you can play some winning football, the people will come and sit on a bed of nails for you and they'll come out and support this football team. And, and after getting off to that start to see the stadium full was uh, really an exciting feeling for our players. You know, and the fact is, Lance, a year ago you said so. You said, look, one day, one day it will be full. It will be packed once again, and maybe sooner than expected or maybe not, but you were right. You know, you mentioned the interview process. I'm curious. I mean, it's pretty clear to me why they would want you, and I know there are things to like about that program, but as you went through that interview process, what was it you liked about this program, and what made you think this was the right place and the right fit for you? Well, I've also heard great things, Jim, about Lawrence, Kansas, and the chance to, you know, just as a community, and when you first of all look at a job about your family, but but the challenge in and of itself, I felt there were some parallels, but just on a, a lot bigger stage than, than taking the Buffalo job, and and to do something that people didn't think that could be done or hasn't been done in a long time, I thought it was something that... Uh, um, really kind of fit our staff and how we go about it and, and some of the small things that we like to pay attention to. We thought we could get ourselves in a position that you could uh, build a winner. And uh, to me, I look at programs like Iowa State, like Kansas State, Minnesota, even the you know Tom Allen at Indiana. People have had a chance in some of these uh, schools where people always don't think you can win or win consistently, and I felt that we could do that here at Kansas. I think that's a great analogy, and it's so true. Those, those are programs where maybe you thought that could not happen, but you see guys go in there with a great plan, a great culture, force of personality, and it happens. I had Tom Allen on last week. He's a good example of that, too. You know, Lance, you look at the offense, and obviously you're putting up numbers. You're averaging 48.5 points a game. I get that it's a team effort, but it's hard not to start with your quarterback, Jalen Daniels. He's making a case for Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. What's he bring to your team both on and off the field? 
Well, first of all, you know, what he brings every day is, is charisma, smile, energy, positivity that, that, you, that you want and need, especially in the program that was in a situation like we are. But he's, you know, he's, he's really a student of the game. He's taken on some of the changes we've made offensively and really embraced it. He's a dual-threat guy with a very strong arm. He just happened to start his first college football game as a 17-year-old about five weeks after reporting to campus. And he went through a lot of changes through, the, through all of this, like many of the guys. And now he's, he continues to mature. He's, he's keeping his feet on the ground, being very humble in how he goes about it. And it's really been impressive watching him kind of run our offense here this first month. All right, so he, he is team first. I get that. Is he, in your opinion, is he in the Heisman Trophy conversation? <laughs> and should he be? Oh, Jim, you're gonna put me on the spot there. I said, I, you know, they, somebody asked me in the post game. I said, I'm all for it. You know, I, I said, I'll let the number speak for himself. We've got a lot of football to, to, uh, to play yet. But uh, um, as, as, as he keeps playing at this type of level, let's not count him out of it. Lance, my guy, you think that's putting you on the spot? Wait till I ask you about Nebraska. I want to talk about Eagle River, Jim. Yeah, there there you go. So you understand that that was well played the way you just did that, Lance. That was very well played. Have you been, like you obviously know that state, have you been to Eagle River? And can you help me explain why it is I'm always raving about Eagle River to everybody else who does not get it? Have you spent much time up there? I have not spent a lot of time up there. Uh, It was a long time ago. I I honestly was more Wisconsin Dells type of guy when the kids were small and the water park scene. But – as you know, there's a lot of beautiful lakes there, and that's probably the biggest thing I miss about being there. It is the best. There is a chain of lakes where we are, and I understand that. Lance Leipold is joining us. So, Lance, what about Iowa State? You know, it's they. you have a program in Iowa State that played Clemson in their bowl game last year. They've got a rivalry win over Iowa already this year. When you look at the tape and you look at them, what's the most significant challenges they pose in your mind? Well, again, Matt Campbell's done such an outstanding job building that program with a steady culture and understanding those those guys believe they've lost some quality players to the NFL draft, but again, there's not much drop-off. Uh, unique defensive scheme that they're using all the time and, and a quarterback that, again, it's, you could tell he, he's been schooled and un, as an understudy and he's really done a hell of a job getting the, getting the ball out to people where they need to, physical on, on both lines. And, again, it would be a huge challenge for us. So, last finally, like, in, in Nebraska aside, just the world is changing so dramatically. There's conference realignment. There's a transfer portal. I mean, the world is very, very different. You're obviously in a spot where you're really happy and you're really comfortable and you are having success and you're building something. It's got to feel absolutely amazing. But, but if the phone rings, be it from Nebraska or anybody else, what do you do with that? I mean, do you owe it to yourself to answer it and listen? How do you approach that? You know, uh, it's it's always one day at a time. I've been very blessed. You know, a lot of, you know, you kind of went through my resume and background, and really that's a lot of our staff. You know, our offensive coordinator, Andy Colnick, he's been with me for 10 years. Brian Borland, all 16 as I've been a head coach. You know, we had an unconventional path to, to this, to Power 5 football. And Travis Goff and Chancellor Gerard have given me this wonderful opportunity and we love it here in Lawrence, and uh, we expect to be here a long time. I get that. Kansas beats Duke 35-27. They are 4-0 on the year. Another big challenge coming up on Saturday. They're hosting Iowa State, 3.30 p.m. Eastern. Lance Leipold is my guest. Lance, great to have you back on the show. Great to talk Jayhawk football on this program, and I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, and uh, hopefully we can do it again real soon. Good night now!